Welcome to Regulated and Relational, the bi-monthly podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. Ginger and Julie are once again diving into emotions and reflecting on Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. Today, they're getting curious about curiosity. Let's listen in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Regulated and Relational, our podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. I'm Julie Beam. And I'm Ginger Healy. And we're excited to share with you from both our personal experiences and our professional knowledge about what it means to truly be attachment-focused and trauma-informed and how we can help children impacted by early childhood trauma. So, Julie, I'm curious about what you think we should talk about today. Well, of course you are, because you are a person for which curiosity is a trait. And that's what I think we should talk about today, curiosity. Well, you got me on that one. First, let's define curiosity, and let's turn to Brene Brown to do so. Curiosity is recognizing a gap in our knowledge about something that interests us and becoming emotionally and cognitively invested in closing that gap through exploration and learning. Curiosity often starts with interest and can range from mild curiosity to passionate investigation. Right, and Brene explains that unlike just being interested in something, which is a state, curiosity can be both a state and a trait. Some people are just naturally more curious about things than others. I'm one of those people. I've been curious about us doing a podcast on curiosity for a while. And I've been curious about so many other things throughout my life. That's probably why it's been so hard for me sometimes to decide what to pursue next. My curiosity is probably what's to blame about why I changed my college major five times and probably would change it again if I I went back, right? Because there are so many things I want to learn. I have stacks of unread books just laying around everywhere. My nightstand is full of them. And sometimes I get more than one going at once and that's disastrous for me, but I'm just so curious. Overwhelmingly, researchers believe that curiosity is a positive trait or state. It's positive to be curious, the positive effect on that person. Studies have shown that it's more healthy to be curious than not. In fact, one of the studies that I found was done through the Greater Good Science Center, and they had six surprising benefits of being curious. And I don't know if they're super surprising, but they're definitely worth noting. So first off, curiosity helps us survive. The urge to explore and seek novelty, because our brain does notice what's novel, right, helps us to remain vigilant and to gain knowledge about our constantly changing environment, which is maybe why our brains have evolved to release dopamine when that novelty occurs, right, and other feel-good chemicals when we encounter new things. It's probably evolutionary to be curious you know, as a survival technique. Second, curious people are happier. Research has shown that curiosity is associated with higher levels of positive emotions and lower levels of anxiety, more satisfaction with life, and greater psychological well-being. Of course, it may be at least partially that the people who are already happier tend to be more curious, but since novelty makes you feel good, 
because of the dopamine, like we talked about, it seems likely that it probably goes the other direction as well. I know that I have a hard time imagining myself being bored because I'm curious. Even if I have nothing to do, I'm going to be curious about something and take in that new piece of information, right? Well, and you know that there is new information out there and you have received reward from garnering that before. So that repetition, you know, creates that neural pathway for that. Right. It's actually pretty frustrating to me that I cannot figure out how to manufacture more time so that I can (laughs) satiate my curiosity about all those unread books and all those other things, right? Curiosity boosts achievement. Studies reveal that curiosity leads to more enjoyment and participation in school and higher academic achievement, as well as greater learning, engagement, and performance at work. It may seem like common sense, but when we're more curious about and interested in what we're doing, it's easier to get involved, put effort in, and then ultimately to do well. So I know that lots of our teacher listeners out there know a lot about curiosity from the achievement study side of things that you learn better when you're curious. And I think it works both for the teacher and the student. It's like that symbiotic relationship really leads to more academic success. It's a great tool to use in the classroom Mm -hmm. and to model. That study that you shared also talks about that curiosity can expand our empathy. When we are curious about others and talk to people outside of our usual social circle, we become better to able understand those with lives, experience, and worldviews that are different from our own, which I just think is so awesome and important. important. And so, yeah, I think next time that you have the chance to talk with a stranger, especially someone who may be quite dissimilar than yourself, try engaging them on a personal level, respectfully, of course, but showing them that you're interested in them and what they have to say. That just is, I think, an excellent opportunity. And that means those of you who like me are an introvert because I wouldn't naturally just start up a conversation with a stranger. However, I'm getting ready to go on an international trip. And I am excited about the possibilities of what I'm going to get to learn about the people who live in the countries that I'm visiting. You know, I've never been there before. We don't even speak the same language, although I'm sure hoping they speak English because that's going to help me out greatly. But it's going to be fascinating to experience their lives and to know a little bit about them. So my curiosity will outweigh my introversion. I have a feeling and I'll be asking those questions and trying to make those connections just because I'm curious about people who are different from me. And it bringing you closer together, right? Because sometimes we just feel so far apart from others that are different than us, but it gives us that opportunity to find things in common and, you know, lessen the division. And That also leads me to the next point in this study, and it's that curiosity helps strengthen relationships, which any listener of ours knows is everything to us. It is the heart and soul of ATN, the knowledge and neuroscience behind how relationship heals. And so this study, it asks strangers to pose and answer personal questions, a process scientists call reciprocal self-disclosure. 
And they found that people were rated as warmer and more attractive if they showed real curiosity in the exchange. While other variables like the person's social anxiety, their levels of positive and negative emotions, it did not affect the partner's feelings of attraction and closeness. It's so fascinating because this implies that demonstrating curiosity towards someone is a great way to build your closeness with them. And I have seen that in so many ways. There are so many times that, especially when we moved to our new location, we were trying to get to know new people or even just the friends that we already had on a deeper level. My husband and I had a conversation where we found that at the end of the night, we would know much if we knew much more about the person than they knew about us because of this curiosity and us asking a lot of questions and getting to know them, we could grow closer to them, right? Because we just knew more about them. But if it wasn't reciprocal, if they didn't ask us questions back, or if we didn't, then the relationship really didn't strengthen, you know, it just didn't have anywhere to go. And so we just think that if we want our relationships to move forward, especially if we're talking about, you know, our children or those really important ones in our life, we can't just let it remain at surface level. I think it also speaks to trust in the relationship. And and if we're willing to let our walls kind of crumble, and if we can build that trust in relationships so that the other person's walls, if they have any, can kind of crumble, then we can get closer together. I agree. As you were describing that, I was thinking about teacher-children relationships and the teachers in my life that made impacts on me started that impact by being curious about who I was or maybe why I was interested in a certain thing or, you know, that they asked questions and they did that first that made it more safe for me to have a relationship with them, you know, and even if as a child, I didn't know to ask reciprocal questions, a lot of times those adults would go ahead and give me reciprocal information. Mm, I model like that. that too, or I don't like that. I like this. And so they offered up you know, something that would be the answer to the next obvious question, right? And really, you know, help to build that relationship, just like you talked about. It's a social skill that we can model and teach and learn. So curiosity also improves your health care. Research suggests that when doctors are genuinely curious about their patients' perspectives, both the doctors and the patients report less anger and frustration and make better decisions, ultimately increasing the effectiveness of treatment. I just witnessed my husband's incredible physician's assistant recently. I went with him to the doctor and he said, you know, when she comes in, you're going to be impressed by how she is, you know, and she asked him lots of questions and she listened and she then sort of drilled down on anything she didn't understand. And then she offered her perspective back, but she didn't offer it in like a, you must do these things. It was like, you know, how about these things? And they had a whole conversation. And I was like, wow, no wonder he likes her. No wonder he feels good about this Mm -hmm. practice because, you know, there was a respect and a curiosity about what he was thinking and feeling that really, you know, was amazing. One of the benefits that showed up in other research, but didn't show up here 
is something that I'm curious about because I'm now in that older adult stage is that curiosity may actually be a factor in helping you live longer because it helps keep your cognition more active because you're curious. So you're seeking knowledge. You're going to continue to do things with your brain that keeps you sharp in your thinking and, and seeking of that knowledge. Some studies say that remaining highly curious actually has physical benefits, such as lowering your hypertension and your blood sugar. It's overall, you know, another way to stay active as you age, be curious and seek out answers and keep looking for differing opinions and thinking about things because it's a positive, even as you get older. It makes me think about my grandma who was constantly doing puzzles and working her brain and just asking me questions all the time. It hadn't hit me till now, till we're having this conversation, how alert she was up until the very end. Mm -hmm. And she just had that trait that I didn't really recognize, you know, until this moment. So maybe you get your curiosity from her, huh? (laughs) Yeah, she is definitely one of the most important influences in my life still always will be. So I love that. Well, and this is interesting because not everyone thinks curiosity is 100% positive, right? After all, curiosity killed the cat. We hear that saying. Mm -hmm. Curiosity can lead you down some paths of bad experiences or even distract you from the matter at hand. Two thoughts come to mind for me. The first is that mythological story of Pandora and her curiosity that led her to open the one box that she'd been told she couldn't, shouldn't open. And the other one is when those of us who are curious minded do things that may bring us discomfort. My example, (laughs) I think some of you hopefully can relate to this, is that Bertie bots every flavor beans from Harry Potter. Love those. We are Harry Potter fans at our house. So we know all about Birdie Bot's beans. And, you know, it's those jelly beans that come in all different flavors. And I'm not talking about marshmallow and tutti frutti. I'm talking about boogers and other unpleasant flavors. (laughs) So think about those examples. Our curiosity often causes us to go ahead and try new things, even though we know that's going to be a negative outcome. There is no flavor in that birdie bots that we're going to smile after eating, Mm. but we still do it and enjoy (laughs) doing it, right? There's truth to that. Research indicates that overall being more curious than not is a positive thing, but becoming more curious is something that we all have to work to do. There are some negatives. There was a whole area of research about obsessively being curious or being curious to the point of, you know, nearly driving yourself to distraction and having an anxiety piece built into that. But typically that's not what we see when we're talking about curiosity. I was listening to a webinar last winter. The name of the person providing the webinar was Dr. Pamela Wine. She works for an organization called Ellenhorn, and they're a national community-based treatment program. She was talking about curiosity, and it was really interesting because she did use Pandora as her metaphor and talked about all the different mythological stories around Pandora. But it was fabulous because she was also mixing the brain science in, and so it was an 
incredible webinar about curiosity and your brain. From a brain science standpoint, she pointed out that curiosity does increase the dopamine release in your brain. So it's rewarding you, right? And the research has shown that dopamine released is released during the wanting part of the curiosity, not the actual when I learn the new information that I'm seeking. So it's just like any other reward behavior. It's the wanting of whatever that is that stimulates your brain's limbic system to release the dopamine and then feel rewarded from that, which as she was talking about that, I can envision that she had this picture of Pandora and I don't know who the artist was, but it's an artist who had drawn Pandora looking wantingly at the box. She hadn't opened it yet. So she was talking about this would be the point and time when Pandora's brain would be, you know, releasing the dopamine and actually getting the reward of, you know, the curiosity that she had about what was inside of that box. And it explained for me a feeling that, and I thought I was the only person and maybe Pandora and I are the only people that feel okay. this way. But when I was a child all the time, even it happens to me even now, sometimes the anticipation of an event, a happening of something I'm going to pursue is usually greater than the event itself. I mean, I remember the anticipation of imagining what I could get for Christmas or imagining what a gift would be or a happy event would be like often was more fun than the actual event. Now, that's not to say that the event wasn't fun and I was disappointed. That wasn't the feeling that I was having, but I liked the anticipation mm -hmm. and would seek the anticipation. And I didn't want somebody to ruin it for me by telling me the surprise parts or any of those things, because that reward system was really activated in the wanting. So I totally understood what she was talking about there. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. I love to plan a trip just as much as go going on the trip. trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that anticipation is powerful. Yep. So Dr. Wine pointed out that curiosity and young developing children is definitely relational. We can think of this in terms of why the toddlers are always asking the why questions, right? They ask why for a variety of purposes, to get information, but also to just get a reciprocal conversation, interaction going, right? I mean, if you've raised a toddler recently, you know that their why questions, they're incessant. They happen all the time. And it's not always that they want to know why the dog is barking or whatever it is that they just ask why to. They just want a response from you. They want that interaction from you. And even before that, and even before the toddler stage, when they're practicing that interactive speech, the infants and toddlers will ask why by pointing at things, right? They'll point at things and attuned and relational parents will use that pointing cue to then use language and name things and explain things and have an interaction that rewards their curiosity, right? How much children point and say why this is where the research comes in, and continue this exploration behavior are influenced by how those early caregivers responded to those moments. You might remember us talking about serve and return. This is a great example of how serve and return works. For the children who had many of their curiosity serves returned, what they learn over time is that, you know, curiosity is a good thing, right? 
enjoying exploration and, you know, questioning and wanting to know are a good thing. And they feel safe about doing mm-hmm. it. They feel safe about having the uncertainty of not knowing and secure that they're going to be able to figure out probably with the adult's help, what they don't know, right? So they're learning all of that in that why, why, why that's driving you crazy if you're parenting a toddler. Dr. Wine also pointed out that not only is the limbic system activated by curiosity, but so is the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is in the midbrain and it's responsible for memories where memories are made and a lot of learning filters through the hippocampus. She described a very interesting study where researchers did MRIs on the participants as they were asked a series of questions about things they were curious about and commingled in with the questions of things they were curious about were random photographs that had no relationship to the questions they were being asked about. So once a participant was shown a topic that they were incredibly curious about, their MRI scan would show the activation. And so the scientists would know this is an area that they're really curious about. At the end, the participant was asked to take a quiz about the topics and about everything that they had learned. And the participants with the most dopamine, the greater curiosity, not only remembered what they learned about their preferred topics and the things they were interested in, but they also could remember what the photographs and other information that was randomly shown to them were. So in other words, being curious about part of the information stimulates your brain so that you are able to learn more on all the other topics, even if they're topics that aren't preferred. And the teachers out there probably already know that. You know that if you can get a child interested in something, then chances are the other things that are around that lesson are also going to be taken in because their brain is activated. It's why we let children read the topics that they're interested in. I mean, my daughter was interested in insects. She read every book on bugs her elementary library had because that was the way to get a reading, right? And it kept her interested in reading for other scientific things and then sort of just like morphed into other reading over time because she was very curious about that one particular topic. Oh yeah, I see it in my youngest. I can always tell when he gets in the car on the way home and says, did you know? And then uh, this and this and this and everything he learned very different than if he comes home and I say, how was school? And, eh, you know, it really does link back to things that he's interested in and is curious. And I can tell when the brain is firing, you know, and when it's not. So I do think that curiosity is something we should absolutely nurture in our children, but it's really important to point out that Anyone, you know, children who were impacted by trauma, any adversity, will have an increasingly hard time being curious. And Brene points out that choosing to be curious is choosing to be vulnerable because it requires us to surrender to uncertainty. That's hard, right? And so we have to ask questions and then admit to not knowing the answer. And that requires that we risk being told what we shouldn't be asking. And sometimes we have to make discoveries that lead to discomfort. That process, really, if if you've ever thought about that before, 
how much vulnerability and discomfort that takes really, it's like looking through a new lens with children who are more susceptible because of the adversity. And I think that's a lot to ask of a child whose early trauma really impacts their ability to feel safe. You have to feel very safe to get curious. And I don't know that we've ever, a lot of us really sat with that before and considered that. And it's something that we really do need to consider because it's a problem for many of our children. Their early beginnings may not have set them up for feeling safe with exploring. And so whether it's, you know, new toys that we're talking about, new friends, new ideas, well, nothing shuts down curiosity faster than fear or anxiety. Yeah, that's right. My daughter truly does still wrestle with an entire fear of failure that, you know, of trying anything new and that directly hampers her trying those things, right? Or being curious about things she doesn't know. And even when I say, well, you know, aren't you curious about that? And she'll say yes, but she doesn't really necessarily mean it. I think her cognition, her cortex is interested because she's a learner and she wants to learn, but there's too much fear there, right? And it all has to do clear back to that early view of herself. She doesn't think she's good enough, smart enough to figure things out. And so when she starts to feel that discomfort of uncertainty, and we all know what that discomfort feels like. Yes. Those of us who are really curious, we push right on through that usually. I mean, in some situations, we might not. For me, they're usually social situations because I'm an introvert, right? But that discomfort of uncertainty feels so big to her. She just goes straight to fear. She cannot be vulnerable. The only thing that we found that truly helps with that is for us to continuously model our curiosity about things. I wonder, it's okay not to know kind of philosophy. And we do that a lot at our house. I mean, we're curious about each other, but we're also curious about things in the outside world. And we ask lots of questions and model for her that we don't have to know all the answers and that it's okay for us to not know them and to go find those, right? I love that. I mean, curiosity itself is basically a not knowing stance. And if we do have that genuine desire to understand and nothing more beyond that, mm -hmm. like we don't mm -hmm. have any other agenda. I just love that you model that, that it's okay not to know because for our kids, the not knowing that lack of control is so super hard for them. They really struggle with being vulnerable because that, you know, curiosity will really leave them in a feeling of not being in control. So I love that you're giving her prompts and letting her know it's okay not to know. That is really helpful. And it's really simple. And it lets her know that she's not alone in not knowing. Like that's a human thing. We just mm -hmm. don't have mm -hmm. all the answers. So letting her feel, yeah, I get it. I see you. And I understand that that feeling is hard. So I'm going to model that for you. And one thing that we always recommend in therapeutic parenting and in the classroom is just establishing predictability, that routine, you know, that helping to know what comes next creates safety. And that bounces up against what we're talking about, because mm -hmm. we're also wanting to push children a little bit out of their comfort zone to be curious 
And then of course that outcome is unpredictable. But if we let them know it's okay to move back and forth between that discomfort, between that knowing and not knowing, you know, that little zone, that window of tolerance and try Mm -hmm. to widen it, then that will help them grow. So kind of being attuned to where those pressure points are for them, how much they can handle and, and pushing a little bit, because really if we get comfortable there is no growth, right? There is growth in discomfort and being curious requires that bit of discomfort. So letting them know we're here, we're not going to let you in that discomfort all alone. But I think as caregivers, the goal is to understand our children and their behaviors and their needs. We've talked before about PACE model, P-A-C-E by Dr. Dan Hughes The C in PACE stands for curiosity. It's so important in therapeutic parenting that Dr. Hughes writes a lot about it. And we talk a lot about it, that we as parents should remain curious about our children's behaviors and their needs. And what is the skill that's lagging or missing that we as parents can scaffold. And so when that parent is curious and It will help lead the child to develop a deeper understanding of himself and herself and a deeper sense that the child can understand that we as caregivers understand and accept you and accept maybe not the behavior, but them regardless of the behavior. We're going to still be here no matter what those behaviors show. So when we combine that with empathy, it will naturally lead to a reduction in those behaviors because they won't need them anymore. Once we figure out what's underneath it, what's causing it, and are curious mm-hmm. about that, put our detective hats on, we can solve it rather than just stopping the behavior at the surface. So that curiosity piece from a parenting standpoint, I think is appropriate because it'll shape our response. It'll shape how, or if we consequence something that, you know, could potentially make things worse. No, and I think not only curiosity from a parenting standpoint, I'm just thinking from a human response standpoint Mm. in all humans, because part of the reason I was so wanting to do a piece on curiosity is that it just strikes me that, you know, there's something going on in our society that is troubling when it comes to lack of curiosity. So I've been exploring the research around this as it develops. And I can't really give you research reports of this, you know, about the reason that I'm curious about being curious. But I think it's because I see it as the tool that helps us fight the rise in what seems to be a black and white thinking. Mm. and absoluteness. Because if the curiosity is about what we don't know, and seeking knowledge and admitting that we don't know it and being safe in doing that. Black and white thinking is almost the opposite of that, almost the antithesis of the curiosity. We want to proclaim that we already have the answers. We already have categorized things as good or bad, black or white, right or wrong. When we do that, then it cuts down our motivation to be curious. We're no longer curious about encountering somebody who thinks differently than we do or a piece of information that might not match what our strong black and white held belief is, right? Even people who think differently about some things, but exactly the same as us about other things, 
would blow your black and white thinking mind, right? You know, you're thinking, okay, well, they're either in this camp or this camp. And we're doing a lot of that as a society today, trying to put people in boxed descriptions. And the truth is that none of us fit into any of those boxes if we really are curious and get to know each other, because we have such varying opinions and varying similarities and differences. So, you know, it all comes back to why are we into this black and white thinking? And for me, in thinking about curiosity and all of the things that we just talked about, that there's a fear there, that there's a fear that leads to black and white thinking. I'm going to hang on to the things that I know and the comfort that I feel by knowing them. And I am not going to question that because of the uncertainty around all of that. I don't have an answer for that. I just felt it important that we talk about this black and white thinking, this absoluteness that seems to be out there in the way people present themselves on social media and in large groups, and even maybe individually, you know, to each other on a regular basis and how that is not only the antithesis of curiosity, but it also doesn't really allow for any kind of relationships, any kind of back and forth getting to know somebody. To me, the harm then becomes that it's going to be really hard to build empathy around somebody that you can't get curious around. I mean, knowing the relationship between curiosity and empathy. I think it's, it's an important topic. And, you know, obviously we don't have all the answers. We've talked about that and that's okay. We just want to bring it up and feel that and percolate on that. And we would love to hear your thoughts and feelings and what you gathered from this. I think that would be a great conversation to continue. Exactly. So in other words, Ginger, we're curious about what you all are curious about and what this all brought up for you. So yeah, send us some messages. We would love to know more. You can always reach us directly at heart at attachedtrauma.org. And that'll be in the show notes. We're curious what you think about curiosity and some of the topics that we've been talking about. And we can't wait to talk to you again next time. This has been another episode of Regulated and Relational. Next time, Julie and Ginger will continue their summer series of discussing emotions and the language of human experiences based on Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. The topic is grief, and they'll be joined by a special guest, Emilio Parga of The Solace Tree. A special thanks to Lorraine Schneider, our editor, and Joe Kramer for donating our music. For more information about the Attachment and Trauma Network, visit our website at attachtrauma.org. Show notes and upcoming episodes are available on our website and through anchor.fm. I'm Danny Pankratz. Thanks for listening.